listeners. Hey. Oh, and hey, Phil. Oh, thank, thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, Laurie. Come on. Don't be so insecure, man. You, you, the high for you is always assumed, and you're listening to me too. <laughs> hey, we are in a high school cafeteria, canteen in America. What do you call it? Yeah, uh, th- exactly that, a canteen. And we're sat on the audio-visual geeks table to record the podcast this week. Which is appropriate, because we are a little bit of an audio-visual geek. Yeah, yeah, just make some room for uh, for Michael. Michael! Yeah, I still love that clip. <laughs> <laughs> is that pathetic? <laughs> I thought we were bit. done with time travel, but here we are. We've travelled back to the well, 1950s. I think, listeners, we did sort of appeal to you over the last couple of weeks to say, if you like the time machine thing, please speak in its defence. But basically, no one has even mentioned the time machine. We've had lots of emails, but no one's, you know, mentioned it. So I'm going to assume... What, either yay or nay? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No news is good news. So, you know what? I like it. (laughs) I like to imagine myself... Sorry, I mean, I like to be in in somewhere special every week. And here we are. Isn't it wonderful, Laurie, being surrounded by some spotty teenagers? Well, you know, it's a slice of life, isn't it, Phil? You've got different cliques. It it ties in with your... uh, what we've been watching review of last week mean girls i feel it's entirely appropriate and one of the films we saw is absolutely related to this you mean the film that i saw tell us what we're doing this week phil we are doing well you've gone to see sully tom hanks as uh, the pilot that landed a plane on the hudson river captain chesley sullenberger yeah that guy so you've seen that one i've seen edge of 17 a kind of coming of age high school drama yeah. set in american high school with Woody Harrelson and Hayley Steinfeld. Mm-hmm. Feld, Feld, Steinfeld, Field. I think it is, yep. Felden. Don't know, Phil. And Laurie, to round off, you've gone to see Office Christmas Party. Yes, Jason Bateman and Jennifer Aniston star in a film penned by the guys who wrote The Hangover as well. But, you know, about everyone's favourite time of year, the Office Christmas Party. Mm, I Weirdly, I'm, I'm slightly optimistic about it. I've yeah, done a whole U-turn. Me. And I'm quite intrigued to hear how it goes. So Well, wait and see. Mm, exciting, exciting. Okay, any extra notes to add at this point? I do have one. Well, why don't you say your one? Shall I? Okay. Listen, we are going to launch, and indeed have, <laughs> because this is now Monday, not Thursday when we're recording this. <laughs> Every week we do this. Uh, a Patreon. Patreon. Pa- Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. And now this is, uh, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's an online way for people who enjoy something that's created independently to donate money to it. Um, we're, only, we're not particularly even asking for that, but we would love it if there's anyone out there who really enjoys Super Betty Rose show to consider going onto the Patreon page. And the reason we set it up is because the costs associated with running the podcast have gone up, specifically where we host our media files and things, because uh, after the first 12 months, the rates increased. So it would help you know, quite a lot if even a few listeners decided they wanted to pitch in even a few quid or something, or dollars or yen or <laughs> whatever it is where you're listening from. The Super Bailey Bros uh, do not discriminate against different currencies. And certainly not when it arrives in our bank accounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but, you know, have a look. Uh, we'll put the link up on our Twitter profile. I'll give you more information at the end of this episode. And it's worth saying that we are going to do something else that Patreon suggests, which is offer up rewards for certain kinds of donations. So, so we're not just beggars on the street. We're actually going to, like, dance for the money. Yeah, but we don't <laughs> want to sort of pressurise you guys to do that either. It's not necessarily a, a purchase thing, because I don't know how equipped we are to offer amazing rewards, but there are going to be some pretty cool ones. I thought, man, we were going to offer, like, jingles or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, jingles, of That's, That was the agreed-upon idea, I well, thought. I, I hope it's an enjoyed feature of the show. I write little jingles that are sort of supposed to be similar to a certain Game Boy game uh, that mark uh, the in-between bits of segments. And we'd like to do a jingle for you. That'll be one of the rewards on the website. We'll put a jingle, maybe even we'll sing with your name on top. Or and we'll like use that. it on the podcast. It's not just a jingle for you to have. It'll no, be like it's a not jingle just a one-off either. Between episodes. It'll come like in that. and yeah. it'll be something along the lines of 
Sarah Brown, she gave us the money, and this is a jingle. Thanks for helping us, Sarah. How's that? But a million times better and more <laughs> more planned. It probably won't be a million times yeah. better. <laughs> All this information will go on the Patreon page, and we do encourage you guys to have a look at it just to see what's what. Please don't feel any pressure. The podcast is free and will always remain free. If you want to help, then that'd be great. But yeah, okay. Any notes from you? Well, I think there's. I think you've got something in store for me, haven't you? We've either got some quiz on opening lines or something like that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So as well as our film reviews this week, listeners, unlike last week where it was just a review show, this week I'm going to quiz Phil in a sort of ex libris style. If you've played that game, that's a quiz game, especially great for the holidays, where you boulder dash style have to write imaginary first and last names for famous books, and then everyone votes about which one they think is the right one. It was great fun. It was just, it's just marvellous, Phil. It's such a clever thing, especially with a good glass of tea on the side. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. But we're gonna, I'm going to test Phil to see what, <laughs> how good his knowledge is. Of you mean I'm going to win? Yeah, let's see how that goes. I'm going to win. <laughs> and of course, your emails and tweets. Thanks for getting in touch. They'll be at the end of the show. Oh, uh, one other thing as well, oh, Phil. Oh, 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 oh. I know this intro is going on for ages. Sorry about that, listeners. But uh, BBC Oxford, Radio Oxford, if you can believe <laughs> that they haven't had enough of us already, have invited me and Phil to pre-record uh, a Christmas show for them An uh, hour long Christmas show Exactly With Al Ryan It is great uh, Irish guy from the station And we're going to try and make it A great Christmassy movie extravaganza So Well there's a couple of things We'd love you to listen uh, If you can And we'll give you the date And the time that it's going to be on As soon as we know But also Also we'd love to have Some emails from you guys We love hearing your thoughts On movies and films And uh, well We're going to be talking about Some films in particular We kind of know that already And we'd love to have some Listening emails and and thoughts which we could refer to and sort of use as a little springboard for material and things like that so if you've got any Christmas movies that you love tell us why in an email if you've got Christmas movies you hate tell us why in an email if you've got Christmas stories that are to do with movies uh, from your family or whatever else then let us know like a great a great day uh, where everyone watched the film they thought we were going to hate and loved it, or a really awkward one where it all went wrong, that kind of stuff. Exactly, and also I'd really love to hear if you have any suggestions on the most Christmassiest moment in film ever. Yeah, and what is your top and maybe what is your bottom Santa Claus at the movies as well. Mm, yes, best version of Father Christmas you can find. Father Christmas. Father Christmas. But yeah, we'll keep you posted on that as much as we can, listeners. But something to look forward to, I hope. Yes, indeed. Yeah, not a hope. It just is. Guaranteed. Guaranteed, 100%. But that is everything, man. We're rambling on. Should we get going? Yeah. Okay. We'll uh, try not to get beaten up by the jocks <laughs> and uh, eat our fruit cups. Is that what they eat? Uh, pudding. Pudding. We'll eat our pudding in peace. Okay, we'll be back with you in the high school canteen at the very end. Bye-bye. I mean, bye-bye. Not bye-bye. I mean, let's go. <laughs> Here is a film. Oh, sorry. Finger in the air, Phil. Go. Boo? What? Did you not get the movie reference? Oh! <laughs> Do you know what? I was going to say that's sophisticated, but actually I can't figure out whether it is. You're doing Monster Sync, man. Mmm, Sully. That's the girl, the little Monster baby Sink. in Monster Sync. Yeah, you know what? For some reason, that didn't pop into my mind even once during the duration of this <laughs> Okay, film. well, that's what I thought of, so there you go. Thank you, Phil. I, I, I appreciate it. You can carry on with your reading now. I'll be in the corner. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, listeners, I went to see Sully, Warner Bros. Uh, and Clint Eastwood's latest movie starring Tom Hanks. And it follows the real-life miracle on the Hudson, uh, an incredible true story from 2009 in which a uh, an Airbus 320 or something, I had all the numbers in my head so I could do this on the radio, uh, that was being piloted by Chessie Sullenberg, 
Africa, had to do a forced water landing on the Hudson River, and absolutely miraculously, all 155 passengers survived. Uh, it's an astonishing feat of heroism and piloting skill. It's an amazing story in which New York teams up together uh, to, for the greater good, basically. And there are amazing photos all over the internet of the real situation, you know, sort of mind-blowing images of this plane just sat in the water with people standing around on the wings. It's one of those things where you hear what the flight attendants say to you if you ever go on a flight and you kind of start nodding off and pretend to listen because they tell you you should listen. Uh, and you hear them saying, oh, when they say brace, you do this. And if you're, and they, you know, they give you the spiel when you're in the emergency exit aisles as well. And they say, what we might need you to do is this. And all the way in your head, you're thinking, well, that's not going to happen. But it <laughs> totally did and isn't it awesome that it totally worked i can't believe it yeah uh, but all that aside it's a it's a movie so we'll review it like a movie and let's start with the clip shall we yeah do you want to set it up yeah so here you've got tom hanks as captain chesley sullenberger and aaron eckhart as his co-pilot jeff skillers and they're sitting in front of the ntsb i think it is the national transportation Ooh, safety board or something like that. <laughs> I did, That's pretty again, good. Yeah, you did I did well know. there. Thank you. Uh, and what they have to do is they have to assess what really happened because yes, it was heroic and yes, it was amazing. But actually, what was really at fault for the problem in the first place? Was it the flock of Canada geese that blew up both engines? What they call a bird strike throughout the film? You know, or actually, did Captain Sullenberger make the wrong choice uh, to land in a river and actually endanger those 155 people rather than save them. So, shall we hear the opening of that uh, that meeting? Mm, yes, let's. Okay. Today we begin with our operation and human performance investigation on the crash of US Airways Flight 1549. Water landing. Captain? This was not a crash and it wasn't a ditching. We knew what we were trying to execute here. It was not a, it's not a crash, it was a forced water landing. Why didn't you attempt to return to LaGuardia? There simply was not enough altitude. The Hudson was the only place that was long enough and smooth enough and wide enough to even attempt to land the airplane safely. Air traffic testified that you stated you were returning to LaGuardia, but you did not. I realized I could make it back, and it would have eliminated all the other options. Returning to LaGuardia would have been a mistake. Okay, well, let's get into how you calculated all those parameters. There was no time for calculating. I had to rely on my experience of managing the altitude and speed of thousands of flights over four decades. You're saying you didn't do any... I eyeballed it. You eyeballed it. Yes. I eyeballed it. Yeah, that's a good line. I like that. I like the fact that you've got that sort of tension between the guys who are saying, well, why did you do it like this? And he's like, because I'm an expert and I know. Yeah. I love that sort of tension. Is that a good little bit of tension in the movie? Yeah, I think so. Clint Eastwood, as a lot of people have commented, seems to really appreciate these ordinary men who just do their job. And that alone is extraordinary given the circumstances. And so hearing them say, yeah, I've been flown in however many flights over four decades with a sort of ordinary calm is kind of what everybody wants to hear. And I think Tom Hanks really delivers that. He's got amazing white fluffy hair in this film. And it does make, you know what I said about um, a hologram for the king, Tom Hanks comes across as maybe the world's best salesman. And if mm, he was on our mm. adverts, we'd all, you know, have empty bank accounts. <laughs> Everyone buy everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In this way, he's kind of everyone's favourite quiet granddad. <laughs> like he, he's going to mature into an amazing sort of Father Christmas figure who can also fly planes. Mm. Now, you've already told me that you thought Tom Hanks phoned this role in, really. Yeah, and I'm sorry, listeners, if you've already heard my review on BBC Radio Oxford, forgive me that I'm having to repeat myself a little here. But you are right, Phil. I felt like, and it may just be because of the story and the nature of the man himself, Tom Hanks sort of played it quite easily because one of his natural abilities is his charm 
and his sort of fatherly delivery, uh, a, a sort of apparent core of calmness, but also steel to him in every role. He's tailor-made for this. And so you kind of think, well, he's, is he having to work really hard at it? A lot of people saying he is, and look at his eyes, he manages to communicate the turmoil and stuff. But I just didn't feel there was that much for him to do. And actually, that is basically how I felt about the whole film. I think Clint Eastwood has the slightly thankless task of trying to make something out of what's actually nothing. And, and just hear me out there, because I know it was a miracle and it's amazing, but that is the thing. You know, there's a lot of comments in the film about how the whole crash, you know, the decision that led to it, everything else only took 208 seconds. And really, that's it. Like, it was an error. They landed it. Everyone survived. Story over, basically. So they, they trump up everything in the boardroom. They trump up everything in Tom Hanks's home life. They trump up the relationship between him and the co-pilot. You sort of have to wonder about, oh, does he have doubts about his own abilities? Does he ha- have his own doubts that he made the right decision? Are the media going to ruin his life now? Look at them handing the door down of his wife's apartment. Are the NTSB going to say that it was his fault and he's reckless and he's an old guy and he needs to be fired? But it's all nothing because you already know what happens. So it's kind of a storm in a teacup. And that's especially obvious when you have characters kind of wandering around going, hmm, maybe I did make the wrong decision. Or did I get it right? Or, hey, I'm sure you did it right. You know, you know what I'm saying, don't you? I do know exactly what you're saying. And so does that mean that basically the film feels like a sensationalised, boring story? I wouldn't say it's sensationalised because... You know, Clint Eastwood's a lot of things, but he doesn't go for melodrama particularly. I think it's just a little bit thin. So one of the other things that gets done is the crash is played through in full twice from a slightly different perspective. I'm like, wow, (laughs) they're really getting a lot of mileage out of this one event. And not just that, they also have little sections of it that appear throughout the film as well, including some slightly invented backstory for a few of the passengers. Right. And it gets a little bit like, well, how much more padding do you want to do? Like, and they have lots of shots of people staring off into the distance, clearly contemplating this sort of stuff and, you know, appearances on live television. There's a lot of stuff that's just not really very necessary because it doesn't help you engage with the pilot's mental state or the event any better than what actually happened, which is all that really needs to be told. I think one of the things that I really didn't like for these reasons was the way that the supporting cast is full of stars as well. So on the NTSB, uh, there's a lady there whose character is Elizabeth Elizabeth Davis. Can't say that name either. And she is played by Anna Gunn, who's known for Breaking Bad. You've seen Breaking Bad, haven't you? Phil? Is she Skylar? Yeah, that's right. And there's also Laura Linney, of all people, as Captain Sully's wife. And Laura Linney, I think I've said before, she appeared in the, the most recent Ninja Turtles movie, and she was in Nocturnal Animals as a sort of classic capitalist rich mother. She's appearing in lots of bit parts, and I think it's slightly thankless. Like, Captain Sully's wife, she is the most obvious sort of standard barrier for all this imagined stuff going on. She only talks to him down the phone, and even then, it's just to say, oh, I hope you're okay. I'm really worried about you. You know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the point is, getting established actors to play such nothingy roles just seems like a waste of money and talent to me. So it's all a bit sort of bitty. Just a bit clunky, which is the word I used on the radio. And I think it's true. It it feels very sort of slowly put in place. I can just imagine Clint Eastwood, age 80 or whatever he is now, like tiredly saying, yeah, let's have this scene here. And yeah, can we have that lady worrying about it here? And <laughs> I I'd really like, quite like to know uh, a bit more about 
specific speci- specifications <laughs> of the. Do you know what I'm doing? Do you reckon Clint Eastwood struggles? No, with he that doesn't. Word? I mean, that was just for effect. But I just felt I could see that all the way through. I think the the redeeming parts are the crash is well done. CGI is average, but it didn't need to be spectacular because the event carries that all itself. It's a really nice story. It's a nice message. I thought Aaron Eckhart was really good. He lifted the room every time he was in it. And and a line that I cut from my text review, I thought he gave a true co-pilot's performance. Phil, he's like the classic wingman in character as well as performance because he doesn't upstage Tom Hanks at all but he does fill in all the sort of emotional situational gaps it's a really good supporting performance from him I mean there are a couple of things and I think probably we'll head towards a wrapping up I'm constantly thinking basically when you're talking about this film of Flight that um, Denzel Washington Robert Zemeckis film which is kind of weirdly parallel to this story where you've got somebody who a pilot who does something incredible and then it's kind of reviewing the events that happened and why it happened etc 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 and and it's kind of becomes a character study has has the pilot made the right decision and it seems to me that this is a true story and therefore quite realistic and quite normal in quite lots of ways whereas flight is the kind of movie version which is where a plane flies upside down and Denzel Washington's uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol and he's got all that sort of going on I don't know if you've seen flight have you I haven't actually that's one of the films on my list but I I wonder whether or not basically if you put these two side by side it'd be kind of like the uh, the Hollywood version versus the the like the documentary well that's the thing I mean when it's fictionalized you've got license to do whatever you want with the guy's private life and I know in Denzel Washington's case his character what is a drug addict isn't he or an alcoholic alcoholic it's extreme sort of yeah messed up and so when the NTSB are asking him those questions there is a question in this film when they say to Captain Sully did you have a drink when was your last drink and you know in flight he'd be like oh and it would be nervous and we'd all be tense in this one we're like oh you probably know he follows the rules because he does he's a great pilot (laughs) that's that's the film he's great yeah so it's a really nice story it's well put together as well put together as can be I think it feels drummed up everything and padded out but it's still enjoyable so what what does three stars equate to start with the stars sorry I'm not trying to do that I think it's a B or a B plus basically B or a B plus okay yeah one last thought I wanted to ask you is why do you think Tom Hanks wanted to do this role? Uh, is it? Did he want to? I mean, working with Clint Eastwood, I, I can't remember a time they've worked together before. So maybe that was the pull of it. It is a Tom Hanks type role, certainly. It may be that he didn't seek it out. He just got paid a lot of money to do it. I don't know. What, like Hearing him talk about it, he doesn't sound like he's in love with the film, but he sounds like he likes the story. Uh, he's got his own reservations about the way the NTSB is portrayed. And a lot of people have commented that they come across as quite villainy as if they're like evil corporations trying to squash down the hero. It's funny though, because when I watched the film, I didn't get that feeling from it at all. I thought, well, yeah, they do need to ask those questions. And the reason it comes across as villain-like is because everyone wants to believe the other story. But those are really important questions to ask. So yeah, I don't know. Any bonuses? I mean, it's the film provided its own bonus, Phil, because there is a really genuinely funny joke in it that I have had real trouble communicating to people before. So are you ready for me to try again? No, don't spoil it here. Listen. No, no. Well, maybe I'm oh, fine then. OK, but it's in a bar and uh, <laughs> Phoebe's fireman boyfriend from Friends and the guy in a sitcom I can never remember the name of. It's helpful, isn't it? Right. That guy is the guy who delivers it. So watch out for it and know that I guffawed. Okay, send your emails in if you also guffawed at that joke. It'd be interesting to hear if other people have the same humour as you, Laurie. Uh, you can email in superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. Let us know what your thoughts were on Sully, whether or not you agree with Laurie or whether or not you think uh, maybe he got it wrong. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people think I did get it wrong. I've heard some people saying Oscar noms. Not for me. Personally. No, no, no way at all. It could no, sneak no. in as a nomination and no, never win. 
maybe fifth on the list or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, okay. No, not, not for me. Okay, there you go, Sully. Come on, man. This is awful. Hey, welcome Stevie Nicks. I'm sure no one was really bad about that version. I think that's the worst musical version we've ever done of any song. I cannot remember a single lyric. Well, and I entirely based match as well. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm entirely basing that performance on Joan Cusack in School of Rock when she singing the song. Can we just use that clip instead? Well, let's wait and see if I can find it. Put it in here. Make an exception. I went down for Shimo. Listeners, what a treat to have Stevie with us. So, Stevie, what's the film you've been to see? You're so annoying. I've gone to see Edge of Seventeen, hence that really hilarious joke. It was very funny. Very I enjoyed funny. it. I did, the truth is, I enjoyed it. Now keep <laughs> good, going. Good. So this is a uh, film from writer director Kelly Fremen Craig. She this is her debut, so uh, it's kind of a new thing for her. She's written a couple of films. I don't think you've probably heard of any of them, but she's she's finally made it to the director's chat as well. And this is a story basically about sort of teenage girl drama. And sort of finding yourself and dealing with difficulty with your family. Uh, the basic premise is a girl called Nadine, played by Haley Steinfeld, who you might have recognised or heard of. Uh, she was in Begin Again, that Kira Knightley film. Oh, yeah. And she was also the girl, the young girl in True Grit, the new remake by with the Coen brothers. And she was brilliant in that. Mm. So she's grown up a little bit now. She's around about 17, 18. She's actually also a bit of a pop star right now. She's been on Radio 1 a Has couple of times. Has she really? Yeah, I've heard What's her in the, the morning. You know these things. I can't tell you the name of the song. Can you sing it? No, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> but she's, she's doing big things and now she's in another film again. So she is a bit of a miserable teenager. She doesn't seem to have many friends when she's really young she she really hated school her brother darian nice name <laughs> yeah her brother darian was like the, the it kid super cool always popular older always brother. funny older brother and she was just she just didn't get it the only person in her whole family who seemed to understand her was her dad who somehow seemed to make peace between her mum and her they always seemed to fight but she still didn't have any friends at school until one day she makes a friend and it's her best friend and she is the only girl who gets her through high school life and all that jazz, even her dad dying. But as we start this movie, we suddenly find out that actually things are changing in their relationship when her best friend begins to kind of have a thing for her brother and her brother kind of has a thing for her best friend. Nightmare alert. Exactly, Uh exactly. And so she's mad at her best friend, but she hasn't got any other friends to go with. She's mad at her mum, who is still difficult and awkward, and she hasn't got her dad around to sort it all out. What's she going to do? She feels all alone. And she's still got to deal with high school. Oh, man. I mean, this is, a, this is a classic, but also not a classic. It's a bit more serious than your average high school drama, right? It's not really, actually. That's oh, really? The, that's the, the big secret of this movie is it's not as serious as you think, but it thinks it's serious. That's the awkward oh, thing. That sounds, anyway, well, that sounds like an opinion already. Yeah, I'm going to get in the clip. And actually, this is a clip right from the beginning. And the clip doesn't make sense. It's something that gets explained later on in the movie. So here is... Uh, Nadine having a chat with her teacher who she kind of has this bizarre relationship with her teacher is played by Woody Harrelson here we go look I don't want to take up a ton of your time but I'm going to kill myself 
I just thought that someone should know. I don't really know how this works. I'm probably gonna jump off uh, an overpass in front of a semi. So we don't need to get caught up in the minutia. I just thought that an adult, so you should know. Wow, this is uh, a lot to take in, Nadine. I, I wish I knew what to say. Well, I was actually just drafting my own suicide note just now. Dear everybody, as some of you know, I have 32 fleeting minutes of happiness per school day during lunch, which has been eaten up again and again by the same especially badly dressed student. And I finally thought, you know what? I would rather have the dark, empty nothingness. I really would. It sounds relaxing. You are so gonna get fired when I actually do it. Well, not for sure, but I can dream. Sounds like Hamish is on form, Phil. As mm. Hamish again. <laughs> yeah, Woody Harrelson. I, you said that before I went to see this movie, you said lots of people were saying he was on the money and he did a good job. A lot of people have been saying very positive things about this film, which is why I sort of persuaded you to <laughs> go and see it, I think. Yeah, I think you did. You genuinely... I, I sort of dismissed it and thought, oh, this looks a bit sort of wishy-washy, sort of afternoon on a Sunday movie. But... I went to see it and I kind of wanted to like it and I did like some bits of it early on into the movie. I think there's some uh, interesting casting choices. I think there's some interesting dynamics and there's a bit of honesty to the the way that the characters talk. Often with teen films, the the vocabulary that the, the writers give them doesn't really feel that authentic. It doesn't really feel very real. I mean... You look at something like Juno, yeah. and that is that was a really popular high school movie, high school drama. But one thing which I don't think you could say about that film is that it actually reflected what teenagers sound like. No, she they was were, super sort of philosophical, wasn't she? Well, not philosophical. I think she was sort of hyper-intelligent, super witty, and every single thing she said was making a reference or a pop culture little That's true. memo. And these teenagers, they don't talk like that. Instead, they talk in kind of slightly crass ways, slightly annoying ways, and... There is a bit of petulance to all of the teenager characters, which I quite liked in a sort of bizarre way. But my main criticism with this film is I just think it's not really got enough drama to it. It seems all a bit high school because it is high school. Like, <laughs> and like suddenly you get the realisation that it's, it's about teenagers and teenagers are kind of annoying and like they're kind of silly and they kind of get all you upset. You see how far Phil's shoulders are up here. He's saying, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? This is it. Just how it is. It <laughs> is like that. Like teenagers are stupid and annoying and they care about the small things. They're not stupid. They kind of are. but I mean, allowed... we, we were stupid. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's you're allowed to be stupid as a teenager, but it doesn't mean you're not stupid. Like, that's the, the key thing when it comes to teenage life, is you're still figuring out what it is to be an adult, but you think you're the, the bee's knees. You think you're 27 when actually you're 17, and you have no idea about the real world whatsoever. Well, that sounds really good. I've got to be honest. I mean, like, I completely agree, Phil. Often when you watch teen films, it's a bit annoying because actually the way they're written it's obvious they're just reflections and foils for adults who are watching it or adults who are in the film. And there's no sort of suggestion that the writers are at all interested in actual teenagers because probably for all the reasons you're talking about, like actual teenagers aren't that much fun to watch and they don't provide witty one-liners for the adults to enjoy and titter at. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But then you've got this, that clip I think is quite a good example of when the film is, it does fall into that cliched teenager trope, that, that Juno style. Uh, I like Juno, by the way, just as an aside, but... I do think it's got its, its criticisms and that particular relationship between the Hayley Steinfeld and Woody Harrelson 
I think is actually quite stale. I don't think it's an original idea. It is just like Hamish and uh, relating to the uh, people in the Hunger Games, isn't it? Yeah, Except but also it's abstracted from the surreal situation. And also, it's a, it's it's like Paul Rudd and uh, Logan Lerman in Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, sure, yeah. You've also got Juno relating to uh, Jason Bateman in Juno. Well, and J.K. Simmons a bit, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, basically, there's like it's a very tried and true, tested sort of formula. You've got the adult who's slightly indifferent, and the the young one who's sort of appealing to that person. And there's kind of an obvious affection, even though they're pretending there's not. That's that's a played out sort of trope, I think, at this point. And this film, I feel like, is actually doing it a bit half heartedly. I think the whole film is a bit underbaked basically and actually probably could do with another rewrite or another draft to add in more elements more drama to tease out some of the the subjects it's touching on because by the end of the film and as i said i enjoyed the first half more than the second by the end of the film i felt there was a bit of a nothing movie there wasn't really anything to justify why this is a movie it genuinely felt a bit amateurish in terms of in terms of the story and the script and yeah, pretty much everything except the performances. I think the performances for for the material that they've got are actually really good. I think Haley Steinfeld is really believable as this annoying teenager. The guy playing her brother, Darian, is played by Blake Jenner, who we've seen, Laurie, both of us, have seen in Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, I love that Richard film. Richard Linklater. He was great in it. Yeah, he was the main rookie guy, the ra- main rookie Jake, baseball player. Mm. And he was really good, actually. He he plays that role of sort of the hunk and he kind of does communicate in very short scenes, actually. Actually, maybe his life isn't that perfect, but he's sort of muddling through it himself. And I think that's a difficult role that he had to play because he really gets a tiny little bit of screen time relatively. The other person I really want to point out is uh, a guy, an Asian actor, actually. And I think I was really glad to see an Asian actor in a kind of a leading role because that's something which we've talked about yeah, for yeah. various other films. This film's just done it without really much fuss. Good. It's played by this guy, Hayden Zeto, I think it is. Yeah, S-Z-E-T-O. Zeto, Zeto, Zeto. Why are they always in my films? Like, I don't understand why this... You just don't know. You just say it confidently, Phil, and no one will be the wiser. He's playing this guy, Irwin, who obviously has a thing for Haley Steinfeld's character and he's I really like their scenes actually together because he's really awkward and he plays it well and he's kind of dorky but kind of nice a bit of Michael Cerri um, in Juno again cool can I ask about themes and things I mean the clip that we played she sort of makes crass comments about suicide which is a serious business of course does the film have sort of strong themes I know you're saying it's a bit underbaked and it needed more rewriting but does it have stuff for teenagers to take away is it aimed at teenagers even or is it more aimed at adults to reflect back on teenage life or their own children maybe I think it's it's for teenagers and maybe trying to validate some of their feelings of feeling awkward and difficult like they don't fit in well and successful at that thematically Sort of. I, again, I just feel like the ideas aren't there. The cast is good. The characters and the situations, I think, are quite interesting. But they don't really ever seem to tease out the, the complications from your best friend dating your big brother. They kind of use that as a point to unsettle the main character. And then they just kind of carry on with this kind of classic teen fa- affair. Right, okay. It's a bit dull, really, and there's not really much to it. And you kind of see how it's going to play out quite early on. Does it end with a date? Uh, that's how that's classic teen how how many classic teen I know I mean I think probably you could tick it off if you see the trailer you could probably tick off the things that are going to turn up all right one thing I will say is it it reminded me how good I think Perks of Being a Wallflower is okay and I love that movie and if you want to see a movie about teenagers and 
difficulties in sort of teenage life and coming to terms with being an adult i think that film is far superior i agree with you i've i've always felt with perks of being a wallflower while i think it is genuinely excellent i think this film you talked about this film being honest perks of being a wallflower is not dealing with ordinary life is it at all no, it's dealing with very dramatic issues Extre- and things like that. Extremely melodramatic ones, but along the way, it manages to tease in sort of loads of things that everyone deals with in their life. Whereas this one sounds a lot more normal. It sounds like it's got much lower ambitions, actually. So anyway, what's the grade going to be, man? I think probably I'll give it a C plus. Um, well, that's way lower than I expected. Really? I mean, I, I don't want to be too down on the film because... I think it's, I, I, yeah, I, I like the idea of a, a writer-director producing a movie. I'm just amazed at the money that they've got and they've managed to get because I think well, it's... Probably people are spotting an upcoming talent, right? And do you expect good things from her going forwards? Mm, possibly, possibly. I don't know. It's really hard to say. I wanted to like the film a lot more than I did and I felt I felt slightly betrayed by the first half because I felt like it didn't really have any anything to say by the end of it. Um, but I quite enjoyed the the performance of Hayley Steinfeld. I think she's going to be big news. Okay, any final thoughts and then we'll wrap it up. And my final thought, I'm not sure it's a bonus, it might be this little addendum to my review. I'm assuming that they were being quite honest and quite on the money about how awkward and how teenagers aren't very likeable. But maybe maybe it was just not very good writing and actually she was meant to be really likeable but I just didn't like her. Oh really? <laughs> so maybe I'm giving the film more credit than it deserves but I don't know. No, I think I've heard that from other people actually, Phil. Yeah, I didn't want to give your head a big head injection or whatever. That, like, that's what a terrible phrase. That I didn't want to give you a big head. Is that a right phrase? Still not the right phrase. <laughs> uh, but I've heard other people say they like how refreshing it is that this is like normal teenagers. So I think you should assume the positive there. Yeah. I'm going to assume the positive. So... Yeah, I think I hesitate to say it might be worth a ticket, but I don't go don't go in with high expectations. Well, there we go. Thanks, listeners. If you've seen it, let us know your thoughts. Superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. And certainly don't forget those pluses and minuses if uh, you agree or disagree. Can I add one bonus, which I just thought of? Hurry up, yeah. The, the awkwardness of trying to have a hot guy in a movie, but not make him too hot because maybe he's not that good of a guy. Oh, I see what you're saying there. That was quite funny to watch. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Hi listeners and welcome to the Super Bailey Bros opening and closing quiz <laughs> from movies. Hold on, I can be better than this. No, you can't. You're going to use no, that one. You're no, going to use that one because I said so. Okay. All right, fine. That was going to be really witty. I was going to come at you and tell me I missed the marketing. Do your witty one. You do it. You do it quick. Welcome to the Super Bailey Bros closing and opening statements quiz. That's pretty good. Okay. All right. What was hey, yours going to be? I can't remember. I don't know. I was going to invent it on the spot. Let's move past this. Anyway, the point is, listeners, welcome to another quiz from the Super Bailey Bros. Ages ago, we did one on stu- uh, movie studio jingles, which went down very well. Phil was very impressive. And this week, I thought I'd test him with something else. Probably a harder quiz, I think, in the end. I think it's going to be really hard. So, as we said in the intro, there are some great family games you can play at Christmas time. They're all to do with trying to guess or write the closest approximation of the first line or the last line of famous books. I reckon let's do that with movies. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's split it into two halves, shall we? So, listeners, we're going to try, unlike the studio quiz, we're going to try and make it so that you can play along at home, should you wish to. So I'll give you some nice clear moments where you can pause it and have your guess and then hear Phil probably struggle and get it wrong. I I have a feeling I'm going to absolutely crash and burn on this. 
I feel like this is your more more your speciality. I do. I love, well, in no. fact, actually, I think this is our big brother Josh's speciality. He's amazing with film quotes. That's true, actually. Well, no doubt he'll be getting 100% then. Okay, so what we'll do it in two halves. One of them, I'm going to ask Phil to try and say it and or invent his own on the spot. Nice work. That'll be a lot of fun. See how close he gets. And then other ones, I'll read them out and you have to tell me what the film is. Happy with that? Okay, deal, deal, deal. All right, let's kick it off. Here comes the music. An easy one to start with. Philip Bailey, I would like you to tell me the opening line to the film Goodfellas. Ever since I can remember, I wanted to be a gangster. Hey, nice impression too. Should we hear whether he's right? As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Ooh, it just, you know, Oh, come on, give me a little bit of leeway. Come that's on. A, it's a quarter of a point, isn't it? Probably oh, 25. <laughs> no, that's one point to fill. Well, give me a little bit of goodwill. It is Christmas. Very, very good. Okay, number two. It, this is quite easy as well. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. Rosebud. Again, 100%. Well done, man. That's good. That's impressive. <laughs> I thought that was the closing line. Is it the opening and closing line? Yeah. Spoilers, sorry, for Citizen Kane. Not even close. <laughs> okay, here's a tricky one for you. Ready for this? Yep. Still famous, though. A lot of people will get this right. Oh, no. Train spotting. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not the line. Um,. You have to invent it if you can't remember it. Excuse me, I'm just running. <laughs> what was that? Was that an accident? <laughs> yeah, that was you and McGregor running. Doesn't <laughs> he get terrible. hit by a car in the beginning or something like that? I think there is running, but that's certainly not what he says. It's voiceover, Phil. That's I know. Oh, no. What is it? Come on, if it was voiceover, what would he say? It's Lust for Life is playing, isn't it? Oh, no. Some people think Scotland is great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just getting from bad to worse. Okay, here's the real answer. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big television. Oh, yeah. Very famous. That is very famous. Yeah, I remember it now. Oh, I've only seen that film once. Look, don't beat yourself up about it, Phil. Very good. That was question three. Okay, question number four. You should get this. Ready? It's tricky, though. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. If you can do an impression as well, that would be great. This is the worst thing ever. I could visualise it. I know exactly what's happening. Galadriel's all like... Some things should not be forgotten that were forgotten. Well, that's not the opening line. I know, line. what's Come the opening on. line? Um, oh no, it abandoned Gollum. I can't remember <laughs> what the opening line is. This is so annoying. I'll be honest, sisters, I just chose that because I wanted to hear Phil do his impression. Come on, give us one quick one. Last one. Do what you think it might be. Long before the elves were forgotten, I can't think of anything. Come on, finish off. Was a was a man called Sauron who was master of all rings. A man called Sauron. I don't think J.R. Tolkien. It's writers so would hard. Say that. The pressure because I want to get it right, and also oh, it's hard, man. It's hard creating. Well, and so it makes it so much fun. It's for the like rest accessing of us. right brain, left brain, stop all, all this, at once. You know, stop all these excuses. Here's the real one. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. That is so hard, man. That's so hard. It is, but you I didn't enjoy, know that, did you? you of didn't. course I didn't. That's why I get this job. <laughs> okay, question five. Another gangster one, Phil. You've I, seen I it. I already know I'm going to not get this, get this one. Are you sure? You ready? Yeah. Okay, The Godfather, part one. You come to me on the day of my daughter's baptism. I mean, I think you know that's the right answer. But it's something like that, isn't it? <laughs> it is... I believe in America. America has made my fortune. I believe in America. America has made my fortune. Well, it's a great impression, but it's a bit late, isn't it? Uh, no points for you. What <laughs> do you want so far? You're on two, aren't it's you? It's really hard, man. It's so hard. You're not giving me ones that I know. Okay, I mean, I'll try and give you. I'll give you two more of these, and then we'll flip the flip the switch. Okay, okay. flip it, flip it. You ready for this? 
Yep. Spider-Man, the original starring Tobey Maguire, that is, directed by Sam Raimi. I think you can get this one. Just picture his little squeaky voice. He's walking in slow motion and he's from a graveyard. It's voiceover again. You want to know who I am? Something like that. That is, whoa, good job, man. Good job. Listeners, I think we need to give Phil a point because this is what it is. Who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. Hey, 10 points to Phil. <laughs> I got the good. gist. That is hard, man. That That's is really good. That was a leap I'm of impressed. faith. I'm impressed. Okay, last one of this type. Actually, I'm going to make it two because this one's so easy. You should be able to get it. You ready for this? Okay. Forrest Gump. My mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. <laughs> oh, you tricked me. <laughs> you, t- uh, you, you even said, oh, you'll get this one. Well, well, like- I mean, you, it's kind of, it's one of these ones where actually you're sort of right anyway. This is the actual clip. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Do you want a chocolate? And then mama, mama said, yeah, you know. Oh, come on, man. I can t- tell you the opening as well. It's all with a feather. You're very good, Phil. Don't know what to make of that. That's the piano playing behind the feather, because I can't do the feather, can I? It's, a, it's an audio podcast, Laurie. Okay, final one. Final one of the opening lines that you have to supply. Oliver Twist, the famous musical. Come on, this is so... I've gifted you this one. What is the only line anyone can remember from Oliver? Please, sir, can I have some more? Wait, is he right, listeners? Please, sir, I want some more. What? There we go. Like I said, I gifted you that to give you a The thing is, is in this game, in this game, when you're put on the spot, your mind goes blank. I was thinking, I was about to sing a song, consider yourself, like, as if that was the opening. Well, we all would have enjoyed that, Phil. Good for a podcast, eh? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, all right, well, let's move on to the second half of this. And this time around, I'm going to try and play Phil clips uh, and he will have to tell me what the movie is and ideally who's saying it. Great. Okay, Phil, number one, you ready for this? This is the last line of this film. Okay. Okay, here we go. And if you could tell me who's saying it, all the better. Ready? Here we go. You met me at a very strange time in my life. Any ideas? I mean, that's a classic soundtrack and some SFX there. Yeah, that is... Well, I can't say the character's Maybe name. Maybe leave a pause. Well, I can't say the character's name because... There is no character's name. That's one of the plot points. But it is from Fight Club. Yeah, correct. And who's the actor? Ed Norton. Playing the lead role. Yeah, very good, Phil. I mean, listen, you can't hear this, but the way that we're having to do the clips, I feel like I'm giving Phil more clues than he deserves. So. No, no, I just told you, you, could, you don't need to play the clips. You can just read me the line and then we'll put it in the clips in post. So we'll make it easier for the listeners, harder for me. That's a good idea. I like the sound of that. Okay, next one, number two. We all need mirrors to remind ourselves who we are. I'm no different. No. Where was I? So that I think one, you know this one too. I can see your face. Mm, I'm feeling very smug. That's Memento. And I can't remember the character's name, but it's being said by Guy Pierce. Correct. Yeah, the lead in Christopher Nolan's Memento. Very good, Phil. Okay, number three. Number three. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh, oh, I know this one. Yep. Do you? Yep, 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 yep. It's old Michael Caine doing the italian job that is very good phil because i you know very good i'm impressed by that well done this is going quite smoothly we're on number four already yeah you maniacs you blew it up oh damn you god damn you all to hell oh 
I know I know what this is. Do you? Yeah, I do know what this is. And I've not even seen the film. Have you really? I've no, seen it. It's a classic. It's uh, Charlton Heston as the astronaut in Planet of the Apes. Way to go, Phil. Listen, I'm impressed by this. I knew you hadn't seen that one. And that is, uh, wow, what a delivery from that guy. I can't. The, my experience of Planet of the Apes is uh, Troy McClure's musical version, <laughs> which is so funny from The Simpsons. I love it so much. And hell, can we play that here? Can we do a little clip of that? <laughs> Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! <gasps> he can talk. 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 I can sing. Oh, the best, the best thing I've ever done in my book. Yeah, one of the funniest bits in The Simpsons, hands down. Okay, well that's very good, Phil. That's four out of four. Are you on? I think so. Yeah, something's yeah, yeah. going wrong with challenge this. me. Send me a challenging one. Well, I'll do my best. Here's number five. Now this one is actually going to be tricky, I think, Phil, because it's not immediately obvious, and I want exact details. Okay, you ready? Okay. Here we go. So long, partner. Hmm. What is that, Phil? What is that? I mean, it's got to be. I'm. I'm. I. I feel like I know what it is, but I don't want to get it wrong. Come on, come on. I think that's uh, Tom Hanks. That is Woody saying goodbye to Andy in the end of Toy Story Three. Oh come on! How are you getting all these right? I thought you wouldn't remember which Toy Story it was. Yes, correct. Toy Story Three, the sad, sad ending. There's another one coming out, isn't there? Toy Story Four, written by Rashida Jones. She is everywhere these days. Okay, number six, nearing the end of the quiz. I think there's only two, uh, three more. Are there? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, who knows? All right, ready. Mm, very famous lines indeed. The horror, the horror. Mm-hmm. I, I, see, I'm onto your game, I think. I think I know what, what you, you're... What are you talking about? I think, what game? I think you're trying to be annoying, and I think this might be the last two lines said in 2001 Space Odyssey, but then it's like an hour later that the film actually ends. Is that what you're going with? Yeah. Wrong! You're really? finally wrong! Yeah, that is not 2001 A Space Odyssey at all. Totally different film. You've got one more guess. One more guess. Oh, gosh. It's a very famous line from the book as well. There's a little clue for you. I'm lost on that oh, one, man. Oh, Phil's Fail. populist I'm, knowledge my has been 100%, 100% <laughs> record gone. That is Marlon Brando as General Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. Ah, never seen it, never seen it. There you go. There's your reason. What a terrifying film that is. Mm. Okay, number seven. Nearly at the end, listeners, if you're finding this tedious and dull, don't worry. No, man, they're loving it. The name's Bond. James Bond. Now, I've deliberately chosen that one because we all know something about that film. You're so annoying. <laughs> but that come on, the tone, the tone all of voice and the music. I know it's a Daniel Craig one. Do you? Yeah, I know okay. it's a Daniel Craig one. I know that. Um, I'm going to use my detective knowledge. Which film with Daniel Craig, if it is indeed Daniel Craig, ends with that? I think it's the first one. It's when he shot Mr. White, I think it is. Uh, at the end of Casino Royale. Phil is right again. He's a master of this, listeners. I'm impressed by this. I yeah. think I wouldn't be as good at you as this kind of thing. My mind doesn't cling on to those little details. In for for whatever way. reason, I feel, I feel like I can picture the you scene. And it, I just, yeah. I'm impressed. Okay, final one, listeners, if you're keeping tally at home. Who's doing the best? Who's doing the worst? Here we go. Right. Well, nobody's perfect. You don't understand. I'm a man. Come on, but you can't add that part in unless it makes it too obvious. I shouldn't have finished with this one, clearly. Yeah, that was on, some, it? some it? like it's hot. That's Jack Lemmon, isn't it? Well, Jack Lemmon doesn't say, well, nobody's perfect. No, but he says that he's in the... They're driving off on the boat, uh, him and the captain, whatever the it is. The guy he's been scamming all film. Yeah. What then, a film uh, that is. This yeah. Is, it's some like it's hot. Bizarre. It's just brilliant. Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon, fantastic. And Marilyn movie. Monroe. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of want to give you one bonus one to finish on because that felt too easy. Okay, go for it. All right, here we go. Final one, listeners. When I despair, I remember that all through history, the way of truth and love has always won. There have been tyrants and murderers and... For a time, they can seem invincible, but in the end, they always fall. Think of it. Always. Hmm, any thoughts, Phil? Complete guess here. I have absolutely no idea. Really? No idea whatsoever. I'm going to say Gandhi. Are you? Yeah, with, uh, what's his name? Bald-headed... Come on, you know who it is. I can't remember He's the hood. Sir. <laughs> sir Benjamin Kingsley? Yes, that's right. Ben Kingsley. Well, you're absolutely right. Phil. Is it yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, that is. Uh, it's from Gandhi. Well done. Uh, what a great final uh, line that is. I thought that's a nice one to end on. I sort of hoped you wouldn't get it. That was way too easy for Sorry, you. Sorry, man. I just... I don't well, know. Listeners, I'm impressed by Phil's final line knowledge. Your cl- opening line was terrible. Opening lines are way harder, man. Because Do you think? Because you watch a whole movie after you've heard that line. Well, that makes it a great quiz of two halves then, doesn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay. And I think actually having to remember it without hearing in a cliff is much harder than uh, anyway look listeners if you want to challenge my uh, last line knowledge what you need to do is email in and then Laurie can quiz me on the on the fly or as we go along so if you want to challenge me to a duel email in and let us know okay hope that was a success thanks listeners moving on but have you been to an office Christmas party yep tell me what it was like uh, yeah it was fun yeah, anything crazy happen? No. <laughs> well, nothing at all? Uh, no, like, people drink too much, and uh, actually, I heard a lot about the previous year's office Christmas party. I think when I was there, the party did not happen, whereas the year before, it did happen. Oh, really? And I heard about that one for a whole year, and they made it to the next Because of how one. hilarious it was. No, not hilarious. It was like people were crying, there was like a serious argument, and uh, it was quite a small office, and they were just, it just just. It tore them to shreds a little bit. Oh man, imagine that. I didn't have any similar stories to relate, really. I mean, I've been at one office Christmas party where there was an open bar. It was quite similar to what you're describing. <laughs> I mean, the reason why the office Christmas party is known, I mean, it's like The Office says, isn't it? Like, people do stupid stuff because of alcohol. True story, man. And what a cautionary note to begin the review with. <laughs> Wisdom yeah. from Phil. Exactly. There's so much of it. It's such mm. a treasure trove, listeners. Uh-huh, I'll try uh-huh. and dig you out some more nuggets in future episodes. Anyway... This film is coming at the end of the year. It's for tired office workers uh, who can't wait to have a break. But also, there's a sense that when you go on holiday, it's also not that much for a break either because you just swap one routine for the other. Like, while work is busy and everything else, you still have a nice time with your colleagues sometimes. Whereas when it's a holiday, it's like you've got to drive all over the place, you've got to buy all your presents, there's loads of queues in the motorway, it's cold, you slip over and crack your head in the pavement, all that kind of stuff. And so right in the middle of that... We are hoping for a movie where people can get a little crazy on our behalf and we can all kind of go, you know, rather like those friends who chatted about the previous Christmas party all year. Mm. This is what you can do, but with the film instead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So Jason Bateman stars as Josh. Americans say that name the best way. Josh? Josh. Josh! Joshua. (laughs) That's in big, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Josh! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Anyway, sorry, yeah. He is a sort of tired IT supervisor at the company Zenotech, who do servers and stuff in New York, I think it is. 
and he's just had his divorce finalised. So we open the film with him finalising the accounts with his lawyer. It's a bit depressing and sad. And then he has to go to the company and sort of keep everyone's spirits alive in the holiday season. His CEO is played by TJ Miller, this guy called Clay Vanstone. You've seen TJ Miller before, Yeah, he's right? in Silicon Valley and uh, he's a funny guy, I think. Yeah, and he plays a sort of lovable oaf in this movie as well. He's been given the company or the leadership of this branch of it anyway by his dad who died... And so he sort of runs it in a let's all be friends kind of way and needs Josh, Jason Bateman's character, to actually do most of the work. But nevertheless, their relationship's quite good. They seem to get on fairly well. That status quo is fine, as far as they're concerned. Then Josh heads into his office, where Olivia Munn is his totally intelligent, totally capable sort of hacker-style subordinate who is, you know, set up a lock that no one can crack on their office door, and she locks out even her boss, but it's a little joke between the two. And she's working on, like, a new internet thing that's going to change the world. All this making sense? Yep, yep, yep. Then there are loads and loads of other office people as well including a loudmouth customer service rep called uh, but played by Rob Cord- Cordry Cord Dry I don't know how to pronounce his name <laughs> uh, he's a sort of a, com- a comedic guy that you won't rec- recognise a name of so much as recognise his face he's got a bald head he is funny but he's quite abrasive right yeah 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 I think he was in Hot Tub Time Machine yeah yeah he was and then Kate McKinnon who returns the only thing I've seen her in other than Ghostbusters well exactly yeah she was the wild crazy one in Ghostbusters and she sort of reprises that role here but as an HR executive so she's the HR manager for this company and her sort of zaniness comes out in vaguely repressed HRisms, which right, okay. in my money were the funniest parts of the film. Really? Okay. We'll come on to that later. And then finally, but it's not finally because there are loads more people, Jennifer Aniston is in this movie, man. Is she a rival branch leader? She is Clay Vanstone's older sister. And she plays, I think she's Carol Vanston. And so she's actually chairman of the company, interim chairman while the so board makes decisions. So she's TJ Miller's older sister. Yeah, and boss in the film. Right. <laughs> so she turns up Scrooge-like at the beginning to this company that kind of our average, you know, ordinary company doing fairly well and says, look, the numbers aren't good enough. I know you've made a profit, but we need more profit. So I'm telling you your branch is failing and you need to deliver a massive uh, rise or I'm going to cut 40% of your staff. And by the way, that's going to happen in two days. So nightmare scenario, especially as the holidays are about to happen. Josh and uh, the CEO come up with a harebrained scheme. Look, look, we can raise the money. Let us just close this guy's account. There's a big name looking to change his server provider. If we can close him, then he has to promise to let everyone keep their jobs and receive their holiday bonuses. Got the setup? Yep. So they go and see him. The meeting doesn't go that well. He says, look, I like your company. Your servers are fine, but your office culture is what's getting me down. I'm hearing about massive pay cuts and job losses, and I don't want to work with a company like that. So, go on, Phil, try and fill in the blank. Office Christmas party! Yeah, they've got to show him a wicked time and show them that their company has the best office culture around. So he's got no choice but to work with them. Whew, there's your setup. Yeah, I get it, I get it. Good. Should we hear a little clip? Yes, please. This is Kate McKinnon displaying her HR manager skills and telling a slightly inappropriately dressed uh, female colleague she might want to reconsider her outfit and then a little bit of classic banter. Ready? Classic banter. Classic. Hey, Megan. It's winter. Can we put Dancer and Prancer back in their stable? Are you body shaming her right now? Some people here might find your outfit offensive. Well, some people might find your outfit offensive. And really confusing. Oh, I thought it was clear. This is a multi-denominational holiday sweater. It has Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Everyone's included. Is everyone included? What about something for the Satanists? Good morning, everybody. You can't silence us all. I know why you took a medical leave. 
Yeah, so I think that's quite funny. I mean, it's it's fairly tame, but it's, it's chucklesome, right? Do you think it is tame? I think it is. And you know what? I think the whole film is pretty tame. I think we've got used to a load of films that present themselves as really sort of naughty and transgressive. I mean, we did Bad Santa 2 a couple of weeks ago. Was it last week? Honestly, I can't remember. And there's been Bad Neighbours 2. There's been Bad Moms. You know, Bad Teacher. There's, everything's bad at the moment. And, you know, other people... Including the movies. <laughs> Carry on. Come on. I know it's a bad joke. Carry on. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because what's other people have said this much more sort of articulately than me. But it is funny that at the core of those films is nothing actually that bad or tasteless. It tends to just be a sort of limited kind of nastiness in ordinary professions or situations so that we can all sort of slightly feel better about ourselves. It's like on Facebook when you see people putting out photos saying, oh, it was vodka o'clock or uh, do you know what I mean? That kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. So, yeah. Because we like to present ourselves as people who aren't perfect or whatever it is. But actually, what we're we're not really doing that at the same time. We're more sort of just trying to lift everyone's spirits a little bit. Look a bit. bit like we're fun. Exactly. It's almost as if we're fun. <laughs> and that's kind of what this movie is. It's almost as if it's fun. It's almost as if it's naughty. But it isn't really any of those things. The cinematography is too good for it to be really? that... Yeah, it's too good for that to be that raucous. There's one scene when things get really, really out of hand because, of course, that is what happens in this movie. Uh-huh. An apocalyptic scene arrives uh, in which everything is going wrong. The security guard is tasering people. People are sort of smashing things up and fighting. You know, there's this slow panning scene in which In someone, slow-mo, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Dressed up as Jesus is riding a white stallion th- through the middle of this. And it's kind of a really clever sort of post-apocalyptic image. And there's a throne at one point and, you know, and it, it, it's done it so beautifully that it's not naughty anymore because the cinematography is so good and the framing is so, so nice. Do you, you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, you can picture yeah. it. In an attempt for it to be naughty, it just isn't really and it the whole film is just a bit tame i mean no matter what they do you can't escape the fact that this is just you know ordinary nice fairly wealthy people just having a little bit of a naughty night mm. does that mean that you didn't think it was funny i laughed but i didn't really laugh at the party scenes because it's predictable i think you can write this movie yourself i laughed more at the scenes either side which directly sort of take the mick out of office uh, Culture, situations and like that, yeah, yeah and that's classic the hr thing's good there is a funny scene uh, played by uh, an accounts guy, I think he is. This is Fred, played by Randall Park. Are you familiar with his name? No. He's in Veep at the moment, a Tina Fey movie. And he plays sort of a boring guy. And uh, the receptionist in the company kind of has a bit of a thing for him. And some of their scenes really made me laugh because they are, they're genuinely quite witty and awkward. And they were actually a little bit, oh, that's a bit pushing it a bit too far. So that, that one, I think they got it right in quite a jolly way. But for the majority of it, it's just bland. And one thing about this film I thought was incredible, and I haven't been able to figure out quite how to express this, so I'm going to go full on pretentious for you. Ready? Yep. It's got the most beautiful chiasm in the structure of the screenplay. Are you familiar with the chiasm film? I'm, I'm guessing that's like a, uh, a tipping point. It's like an ancient literary structure in which the climax of your film occurs at the centre or the climax of the narrative occurs at the centre. And actually, it's got two parallel streams that bisect it. So you start... And it kind of sets up lots of things. It comes into a point in the middle and then it emerges out the other side. And the reason it emerges out the other side that way, like an X, is that it matches all the things that led up to the climax. Right. So it's like a mirror that beautifully bisects the centre of the film. (laughs) Got it now? That sounds so weirdly, like, overthought. Well, it is, but it, it is exactly what this film does. Because every little moment of setup 
in the beginning, of exposition in the beginning, has an equal and exact payoff, almost down to the chronology of it as well. Like, it is extraordinary. They do not have a single detail at the beginning of the film that isn't then addressed right at the end. Is that good writing, then? No, I think it's really bad writing, because it proves this movie was constructed on a table with a map, basically. It's like, let's have this. Oh, and that the payoff for that can be this, right? And you just draw... That's why I'm saying it's like a chiasm. You've got these two different things on either side, and then you draw a line through a middle... And that is the plot, basically. Right. And I think they could have just let some of it go. It felt like kind of a bit, oh, man, they're really doing that as well? So too planned. Sort of, yeah. So the, the sense I'm getting about this movie, which I'm kind of surprised by, because I didn't think I'd ever say this in regards to what you wouldn't like in a film. You're saying this film isn't random enough and isesn't raunchy enough? Not raun- raunchy is the wrong word, but it's not crazy enough, yeah. That's so bizarre. Like normally I'd, I'd, I'd expect you to be saying, oh, they needed more structure. They needed more planning of like how it would execute. No, you want to and see a well-made... And you expect more sort of no. like moderation. But you see, the thing that works about The Hangover, which is a film I have mixed feelings about, is that a lot of the stuff in that you did not see coming from a mile away. Like doesn't Mike Tyson punch one of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Like the, <laughs> who wrote that? Whereas yeah. this film has nothing of that. It's very, it's exactly, the setup is exactly equal to the payoff. So... It's too plain and too bare. You could, I mean, uh, whenever you can see the punchline in humour, it doesn't work, does it? Well, exactly, yeah. Something else that I thought was interesting, and I did chuckle at, was I think she's called Gillian Miller, and that might not be a name you'd recognise, but do you remember some of the funniest bits in 21 and 22, I think, Jump Street, were to do with uh, Jonah Hill's a female opposite Oh, yeah, being slightly awkward or unusual. Yeah, and there's a particular scene where they're having, like, a physical fight in those films, and they keep on doing this thing where it's like... Are we going <laughs> to kiss? Yeah, they make... <laughs> that was so funny. She's in this film, and she does a very similar thing. She's got very, very good uh, comic sensibility and timing, but she plays quite a sort of uh, a dodgy character. But, again, her scenes were actually quite good, and, you know, not that I like the subject matter, but I could have done with more of that as well, because it was quite random. <laughs> There you go. I'm, I'm so, so I'm shocked. I'm shocked. The thing is, it's it's average, and you know you're saying you're shocked, but when you when you have a film like this, of his Christmas party, you go in with a set of expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it doesn't even meet those, that's just a bit weird. It it wasn't bad. It was just very very mild. It had a lot of unnecessary nudity, but as far as those things go, it felt like box ticking. It had a lot of drugs, but it felt like box ticking. Like you know, we really don't like Seth Rogen and the way that he basically promotes weed in all his films. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene where they they smoke one of those, but it. It's so sort of arbitrary. It's like, oh, well, we need to have that in the film because that'll satisfy the people that think that weed is funny on its own terms. Yeah. So it's just a scene where a couple of characters say, well, oh, here's your treat, and they have one, but they don't even smoke it, and there's no scene with anything to do with them having smoked it. It's just like literally a name check. It's like... Let's, Marijuana. It's the real, really weird. Normally it's PC box ticking. This one is like anti-PC box ticking. Anyway. And therefore failing to do it. They're trying yeah. to be like a very it's efficient so way of ticking off naughty yeah. things. It's incredibly mild. It probably will lift your spirits a bit, especially if you've been working hard in an office all year. So I can't not recommend it, but it's definitely average. What grade? I think... Mm, maybe ooh, I want to say B minus to be positive, but really it deserves a C plus. <laughs> a B minus to be positive. <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> sentence. But you know what I mean. C plus. I, I think C plus is what it actually deserves. Yeah, I really liked Jason Bateman in it a lot, and he's such a good straight man. But like, he carries the entire film, in my opinion. Jennifer Aniston is okay. I think unfortunately she's hit that point in her career where I can't see her as anyone but Jennifer Aniston anymore. So it's not that much fun to watch her. No, I haven't enjoyed her in pretty much anything, I don't think. No, but on the plus side, she does get to do stuff that she wouldn't normally do. Like she has a lot of fights in this and she's (laughs) she's really, really rude to a little girl in quite a witty scene. But 
Yeah, anyway, that that's all I've got to say, really. You have intrigued me in kind of this weird mixture of things. Yeah, for a film that's meant to be offensive, it's quite inoffensive. So if you're at all minded to go and see it, why not go for it and then shout at me if you think I've got it wrong? Yeah, please do. Please do. I 100% endorse that message. All right, man, let's go for emails. Emails! Thank you, Phil. You, we sort of missed your cheerful email almost song last week. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm glad it's back anyway. Okay, a tweet here from Susanna. At Superbelly Bros, a big plus one to Phil for hashtag Arrival Movie. Well done, Phil. Yes, 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 yes. I reckon I'll hold on to that cinematic experience for a very long time. Hashtag loved it. Great. I'm really glad somebody else enjoyed it. Because I've only been talking to you about this stupid film, I've got like, I feel like I'm all alone in the world. That's such rubbish. Everyone loves it. And I enjoyed it as well, as I said. I'm glad, Susanna, that you liked it. I did too. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Out of interest, Laurie, have we had anybody else agree with you on your negative arrival review? I just want to say it's not a negative review, Phil. You keep peddling. Your this. negative review, nobody agrees. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't really talked to anyone else about it. And I think to really talk about it, you need to spoil it a bit. I was almost going to suggest to you we do a one-off little tiny movie court thing where we go completely spoilers out. I'll be up for that. Mm. I'll, you tell me time and place and I'll meet you. <laughs> well, let's consider that. Anyway, okay. Let's do a little gun shootout. What do you call it? Not one of those. Showdown? Standoff? Standoff? Let's keep moving. Nicholas got in touch, saw a single man on Prime and Netflix. Fantastic aesthetics, camera work and ambiance. How does it compare to hashtag nocturnal animals? Well, Nicholas, I haven't seen a single man yet. I know of it. I haven't watched it yet, so I can't compare it. But everything you've said sounds right on the money. Nocturnal animals is certainly beautifully shot. My key criticism for it was that thematically and at its heart, it's very hard to say what the film is communicating and style has to communicate substance, doesn't it? But if it's communicating sort of nothing, then actually it may just be an incredibly unpleasant piece of film. You thought it was really dark, didn't you? It's very, very dark. Yeah. Do you think maybe a single man, would you be up for seeing that? So that is about uh, a man whose partner has died and he entertains suicidal thoughts, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I am interested to see it because Tom Ford seems to me to be one to watch. So, Nicholas, I will get on that and let you know. And he also carries on. Uh, initially, like Phil, I enjoyed the boring Patterson <laughs> to feel fairly refreshed by the end. Plus one, Laurie. How about that? Oh, really? Okay. Well, thanks very much for getting in touch. I, yeah, I think I have to see this one and make up my own mind. But I do stick by my money. If you talk about it, it does sound boring. Well, you know, even I said, and this is Nicholas as well, at the begin, the very beginning, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to hate this. I said that in my review mm. because all the sort of design around it and talking about it sets it up that way. But I think Jim Jarmusch is a bit of a genius because it is right in the middle of all that and it does work. So, Nicholas, thanks for the plus one. There you go. You're raking it in. It's true. I've had a good start to the season. I need to You're get that You're seeing all the popular movies. <laughs> okay, one here from Grace, and you should be ready to be deeply ashamed, Phil. Why? Sorry, Phil, is the headline Why is she apologising? What have I done? Listeners, if you heard last week's episode, you will have heard a fantastic uh, counter-argument to Phil's opinions on Your Name, the anime film, I think we said this last time, touted as the next Ghibli. I'm just reusing my lines. <laughs> and uh, Grace very brilliantly said, look, I think your expectations have defeated this film. You wanted it to be a Ghibli fantastical masterpiece. It isn't that. It's not trying to be that. It's just trying to be a good film and the reason for the Ghibli comparisons is they're both successful 
And, you know, Phil then came back and said, oh, no, no, no. Uh, no, 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 no. Actually, I know what I'm I meant was I really love the film. What's the noise? And, uh, and uh, I was just trying to imagine if someone who didn't know anime what? really What's the noise? It's the fact that you, were just, I just did, you just did an impression of me uh, protesting. And then how I protested, you do protest. Exactly What's that? That's so annoying. But no, I'm not going to let you say that because I was very tenderly appreciating the email and slightly agreeing with it. And in fact, in, almost entirely. And then sort of, Blowing it back to the listener. Well, let's hear what Grace says. Hi, Phil and Laurie. I just listened to the episode. I really hope my email didn't come across as harsh. It no, didn't. It, it didn't. didn't. Not even it at didn't. all. Even put off by Phil defending himself. In a no, I, I hope I didn't manner. come across like it's like, no, no, nobody agrees. Too late now. She says, uh, although I thought anyone, anime newbie or not, would enjoy the plot twist in the middle. You're right. I think it would still get lost on many people compared to a Ghibli film, etc. So plus one. Look at that. You, I can't believe that. She did say she was undecided. So there you go. Well, there you go. I, I think it's despicable, listeners. No, 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 Laurie, don't you, don't you? I, I, Grace, don't apologise. You shouldn't apologise. It's exactly the sort of email that we love getting because we love hearing the discussion. I just was keeping it going because I was enjoying it. Uh huh, uh huh. Well, now there is more here, but we'll come on to that later. Uh, kind regards and Grace, you know, I am completely on your side, and Phil is as well. I think yeah, we agree. Yeah, you're the little Machiavellian. You're the Iago in the corner saying, "Why, why did you do I mean, it?" You're forgetting, Phil. I did exactly the same thing with someone who very well argued that Spy was a good film mm, and I gave no ground at all and was very sort of uh, <laughs> fierce about that. Anyway, let's move on. Okay, and one here from a Mr. and Mrs. K. This is about a United Kingdom. They want to give their two cents worth on that Oh, movie, please man. do, please do. This is one Phil reviewed last week. He says, very good. Managed to convey several quite complex issues without oversimplifying, yet not overloading the viewer. It was well pared down. I especially enjoyed the sense of ordinary everyday life in such a vast landscape, which was both beautiful and harsh. I have to agree with Phil that there were some irritatingly clunky visual cuts in the editing, although Mrs. K says she didn't notice them. We were also both moved and convinced by the relationship. I did find myself wondering a little bit about the missionary references early on. It wasn't referred to again in the film. And for me, seeing the black and white pixel invert at the end really made it. Another black uh, background white text fan there, Phil. Yeah, it, it has to be part of the true story. I meant to mention, actually, that Sully has that. And a film I'm going to review next week, Snowden, has that as well. So, you, you know, if you see those films, you'll be loving it. Black screen love. Different but just as important in its way as Selma. Did you see Selma? I did see Selma. That started David Yellower as well. Do you think they're on a sort of similar level? Uh, different different sort of tones, but again, about true story and sort of quite on the money, I think, on, on dealing with the issues. There we go. And he also adds, and this is an interesting one, the series The Crown, which is not quite TV because it's on Netflix, uh, he says is excellent and it might help raise interest in empire-related stories. And I hope this film is widely seen. It's a good point, actually. Like The real history of the British Empire is a fascinating one. And I think it's one that needs to be learned because it reflects very badly uh, in many, many ways and positively in ways you might not even consider. Like this film. Like what an, what an amazing thing that that happened right in the middle of a colonialist empire. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, it is crazy. It is really good. And then final note here, uh, he also says, fascinating to be reminded of the passionate, idealistically driven politics of Tony Benn and others in the Labour Party of the time. So you're a, bit, a bit of an older listener here, I think, Phil. Well, Mr. and Mrs. K, thank you very much for that email. That was really good. And can't really comment on the uh, the olden days of Labour parties, unfortunately. I wasn't no, born. and the Bailey Bros don't really dip our toes into the solid water of politics. We are apolitical, is that the correct term? I have no idea. Final brilliant one here from Delayed Runner. And now this is advanced listener communication, Phil, because Delayed Runner has gone to the lengths of creating their own email, special email address to send this in. What, so they could use the name so yeah, that we can't possibly mess it up? But we're very, very glad to have it. Here you go, listen, it's a big one. Hello, Bailey Bro fellows. Here I am at last. 
I've been meaning to write in for a while. They've been subscribed, but just couldn't find the time in my busy schedule. Oh, we're busy. No, no, I'm <laughs> However, it occurred to me the other day that I could definitely find the time if I tuned in on my morning run, hence delayed runner. Ah, okay. You bros are most excellent running listening. That's good news. I've even improved my time since I've started listening. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. I guess there must be something about the way you power through those movie reviews, which just gets my adrenaline pumping. Anyway, I've been pacing through your episodes like a flash and immediately smashed through your current one and then had nothing left to listen to. Just too quick. Oh, no. So I've resolved to start listening through the back catalogue. I'm already making good progress. I've listened to lots of your movie reviews and features and have loads of movie thoughts to share in return. Yeah, that's great. We say, don't we? We love to get emails from people listening to old episodes because a podcast is slightly different from a radio show. People can go back and listen. There's nothing missed. It's like the Netflix of radio. (laughs) Nice, nicely said. Here's one that I thought of just now. Here's a thought. I like the chat about superhero movies. The tension between the bros is great. (laughs) Do you feel that way, Phil? Uh uh Uh-huh. Yeah, great. Love it. Phil loves stories of everyday heroes who discover themselves. <laughs> I love this. And save the world. And Laurie sees huge movie budgets committed mainly to the steadfast production of cheese. That's well phrased. I like yeah, that. It is very well phrased. It's probably true as well, isn't it? I think. Mm, yeah, probably. I'm a bit more cynical than you. You are, definitely. Laurie, your argument about there being movies and then in a different category, there also being superhero movies was interesting. I like the idea of having a separate category for superhero movies. To be honest, I'm not sure about them. Do I like them? Do I not? I don't know. Yeah, and I, I, well, I'm glad you picked up on that because when I listened back to that, I thought it's a bit like when, do you remember when I uh, thought I'd invented the cheeseburger just because I failed to put two things together properly? Right, yeah, yeah. It's almost like a cheeseburger. This is a bad story because only you and I understand it. But I know exactly what you mean. Well, I felt the same way when I listened back to my thing on superhero movies because that's already a genre. Everyone knows it. (laughs) It is a genre, yeah. It almost should be its own (laughs) genre. But I think thought of this. I think what you're talking about is the the fact that it's a very unique film product. It's not just a genre, it's the film product because it's, it's following its own rules, basically, because it's this mega franchise which is tying in together Together, loads and loads of different different franchises it's a mega franchise which is the marvel superhuman universe or whatever it is its own category of film because other films just aren't even attempting to do that yeah well that i'm glad you felt that because that is what i meant i just didn't communicate it very well like it almost feels like an intruder on the cinema these days because it isn't really a film anymore it's got its own kind of thing it's not a tv show it's not really a movie it is a superhero product of some form that has such rigid structural demands that really to be appreciated critically it can only exist on its own terms do you know what i mean yeah it's it's bizarre little product but i'm enjoying them well there we go delayed runner is obviously not entirely sure yet i mean there have just been this is them again i mean there have just been so many over the last decade and they really are always about some hero fighting some anti-hero and the consequences are huge for mankind or america at least anyway but i think i might appreciate them more if they were in their own category yeah there we go as i said so like laurie said you could be prepared before you go into the cinema and then set your expectations appropriately and i think this is to do slightly with when we talked about expectations what you want out of film and what film means to you. If it's being able to compare it and analyse it as a feat of technicality, then you sort of need to be able to compare it with other things. And it doesn't really stand well next to a film like A United Kingdom, for example, or Patterson, because they're just a mile apart. Yeah, they don't follow the same rules, really, do they? Yeah. And then a good example here from Delayed Runner. They say my favourite superhero movies, although film might say they don't count. Ready for this? Yeah are the ones that avoid the tropes or at least deal with them more originally. For example, Unbreakable by M. Night Shyamalan. I actually really like that film and you have major issues with that film. Well, it's, only, I, it's not so much issues. I watched it it's when like a dark I was ghost 12. From your past. Yeah, and it was one of the first 12s I saw and it frightened the living daylights out of me and I'm not exaggerating. I was 
absolutely beside myself terrified awfully for weeks uh, and there is a scene in that if you haven't seen this listeners i think it is quite a good film i can still remember a lot of details it's burned into my brain but there is a sequence in it it's one of the most It's very horrible. unsettling because... Oh, it's, it's so full of malice and evil. And it is, he doesn't hold back any punches. Just about every nightmare that is part of that story gets revealed, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I think it's horrific. It's worse than many 18s I've seen, in my memory anyway. I think it... it I mean, I saw this one way later. So I was, I was kind of an adult by that point when I watched it. And so I think I had a bit more distance and I could kind of appreciate it as what it was trying to do. But I do remember that scene. I know exactly one without even without even talking to Laurie about it. I knew from when he had spoken about it when he was 12. I knew exactly which scene it was that had really kind of got into him because it's a long sequence. It's a it's a it's a difficult idea. But actually, I think the whole idea around that film of actually grounding a superhero in reality, I think it achieves very successfully. It does it a lot better. And it's interesting, Delayed Runner also brings up Watchmen. And I've seen bits of Watchmen and I've read the comic and I reckon Unbreakable did that a lot better because you're absolutely right. It toys with the superhero format in a, in a brilliant way. Bruce Willis is a perfect casting choice for it. I think Samuel L. Jackson is awesome in it as well. And, and actually it's really of, well directed. I yeah, I, so basically Delayed Runner, I think we're agreeing with you. That is one that actually completely moves itself out of the superhero genre because it so brilliantly shines a lens on it and plays with it. It's one of M. Night Shyamalan's really good things and it makes it all the more mysterious why he's able to produce such rubbish when it's, he's not It's on crazy, form. isn't it? You don't know where that career's gone. I know, yeah. One final note from Delayed Runner and then that'll be it for emails this week. Also, and rarely for me, I am very intrigued about that new Wolverine film that's coming out soon. You know the one I mean? Yes, we do. Logan. I watched the trailer and the whole thing seemed like a big departure from the normal tropes. Real complex characters, genuine emotion, a nuanced and thoughtful narrative on display... And I find that relatable, you know. I'm I'm weirdly optimistic about that film, and you I genuinely so I genuinely think it could be really good. I think it could be, and I feel a bit stupid. I might have egg on my face, listeners, but I think it could be one of the best superhero movies there is because it limit. It seems to be that it's going to limit the story to quite a, a manageable story. It's not end of the world stuff. Instead, it's about real people with these extraordinary abilities doing real things. If that makes sense. No, totally. Yeah. So, and great choice of uh, music, I think, on that trailer. We know I haven't seen the trailer yet. In some ways, I've sort of kept myself uh, apart of it from it because uh, it's so early. I don't like to get into hype if I can help it. I like expectations. I don't like hype so much. All aboard the hype train. Yeah, Phil's, Phil's a more of a hype merchant than me. Speaking of which, we are going to do that for Rogue One, of course. But of course, go. of course. All right, that's everything from Delayed Runner. They say, anyway, got to Dash. Yours from the back catalogue. What a brilliant email. We're getting loads of new emails at the moment. Great, we love it, we love it. And that's, uh, it's really nice to hear that people are listening to me when I say, do email in. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And yeah, listeners, please do be encouraged by all of that to send your thoughts in, big or small. We love them all. It's a nice little rhyme, isn't it? <laughs> you're, you're like, you're, coming you're on like a weird little brainwave of marketing. I don't understand it's how you marketing. do this, man. You said it was, that's why you can with I these phrases. I think I used phrases. to have to do that. I used to have to write in sort of one, anyway, let's move past this. Send us your thoughts on superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Thanks, guys. Love it. Well, listeners, let me just wipe some of the spaghettios out of my hair. Some idiot jock walked past and shoved my face right in it. I think he took me for a geek, Phil. Oh, no, that was just me, man. Sorry. What? I just thought it'd be funny. How dare you? Well, listeners, other than that, we've had a great time in our high school cafeteria. I'm sure you have as well. It's uh, nice having a bit of chatter in the background, isn't it? I like it, Phil. Like theatre of the mind. You guys can just 
picture the scene. But yes, hope you really enjoyed our reviews. Uh, Sully and uh, Edge of 17, also in a high school, mm. and Office Christmas Party. Let us know your thoughts on superbaileybros at gmail.com or at superbaileybros on Twitter. Yes, do tweet in and uh, email in and say whether or not you agree with us, disagree with us, what your thoughts are. Remember, we love hearing from you even when you disagree. What was the thing you said? <laughs> Oh, what did I write? Uh, small thought, or big? Thoughts big or small, we love them all. Something like that. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, well, true story. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Snowden for sure. And probably some other great films as well. Yeah, there'll be a couple of others out as well. I'm, I'm hoping to see Indignation uh, on the cinema at the moment, but I haven't found time to yet. But uh, yeah, don't worry, it'll is be it, great. Is it okay if we uh, talk about the Rogue One spoiler episode we were thinking of doing? Yeah, so probably what we'll do uh, next week, I think we're going to do a bit of build-up. Phil and I are going to go over the prequel trilogy, which should be technically setting up for Rogue One and bringing some of the original stuff as well. What we're expecting to see, what we're nervous about seeing, blah, 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 you know the drill. Mm-hmm. And then when Rogue One is actually out, out, Phil and I will do a separate podcast all about it. Yep, and uh, that will be spoilers and all. So if you've gone to see the film, you want to hear what somebody else thought of it who isn't going to mind about spoiling it all, that will be perfect for you. We will signpost the spoilers as well, just in case. The Spoil Eagle will be out in full force. That's right. Uh, and Christmas season's upon us, listeners, so it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, as we've already mentioned in the intro, we're going to be on BBC Radio Oxford. We'll let you know the date of that broadcast as soon as we can and the time as well. Phil and I are pre-recording that one soon. But also, we're going to do a Christmas Super Baby Bros show as well. So I think we're still going to release stuff every week, but there will be... It might be a little bit of fun and kind of... A bit more chilled out, Christmas crackery of an episode. Around the fire, that kind of thing. Exactly. There we go. All right, well, listeners, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We'll speak to you again next week. Yep, cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Episode, what is it, 53? Season 2, episode 3, 53. There you go. Bye. Bye! Well, Phil, for the bonuses, I've got stuff prepared, but actually, why don't we just do something on school canteens, considering that we are or were there? (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day when we were at school. Yeah, yeah. Have you got any memories from the canteen? I've got one that jumps straight into my mind. Do you want me to do that? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's actually going to be quite a boring story. I don't know. Let's see. I recall on a wet day. Uh, <laughs> this is like a granddad story. Well, it is a little bit. I recall on a wet day <laughs> Just gra- in the egg. summer of 1957. Well, it certainly wasn't the summer because it was very wet. Uh, and I grabbed an egg sandwich and was on my way out. And it was a wooden sort of area that you had to queue. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. You had to queue to get in. And so if you were leaving, sixth form was got in, you know, ahead of the queue. Willy nilly. They could do whatever they want. They but then you had formers. to walk out past everybody. And I particularly recall that day wearing some boots that our dad had bought me and the sort of phrase he used when he bought the boots was yeah these are really cool like these are the sort of things that i used to wear aka listeners black shiny with a heel on them (laughs) a heel (laughs) really this is like you know in the early 2000s heels were not in have never been in in fact for boy boys at school in a boys school as no, well if, if anything you get the closest you possibly can to trainers not high-heeled shoes uh, but anyway the other half of that was that they were not good on slippery surfaces so i vividly recall walking through this gauntlet of much younger students when with you their legs out yeah 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 and uh, just slipping like, oh no the heeled boot slipping on the water landing Betrayed flat on my you. back egg sandwich in the air you know the classic <laughs> Uh, so that that's my only major memory of it, yeah. I remember that's canteen, and uh, the only thing that I remember was people used to put chips in their like blazer pocket, <laughs> like so they could eat chips on the go. It'd just be like just Actually there, yeah. Pocket. I remember that. Not being even gross. in a bag. 
Like, it was in a bag in a pocket, but still, it was in the pocket, like, which is gross. Do you remember being given money by our parents that was ostensibly for, like, a healthy meal? Spend it on the vending machines. Exactly. <laughs> because the queues were so long to get into the canteen, the food was such a disappointing payoff when you got there. Way quicker and tastier to just eat knickknacks and munchies. <laughs> yep. Great nutrition. I think that's yeah. why I'm such a fine specimen of a man I think, today. I think the last time I bought a sandwich from that canteen, and I thought it was like a tuna and sweet corn one, ended up being tuna and onion. Oh, and it wasn't like it wasn't like little bits of onion like diced up or whatever. It was like half a clove or whatever it was. Oh, disaster. Disgusting. Well, there you go, man. That's my bonus. Have you got anything to add? Well, I pretty much that. I've added it as much as I can. Sound checking. Sound checking, Phil. Do your sound check, baby. <laughs> Hello, this is Phil talking. Yo, it's Phil! Okay. <laughs> uh, an incredible true story from 2009, where... 2009? <laughs> You've got uh, a girl called Nikki? Final brilliant one. Brilliant one? Final brilliant one. <laughs> What's going on? 